Welcome to Frost Heave Revival. This is a podcast of the American Baptist Churches of Vermont and New Hampshire. And we are telling stories of how the Holy Spirit is at work in and around and through the American Baptist Churches in our region. You see, we believe that God has not abandoned New England. Instead, we actually think there is evidence that New England is beginning to experience that difficult to discern early stage of a revival. It's kind of like mud season in New England. It don't look like much, but that's what spring looks like around here. Yeah, okay, well, I'm Dave Denis, the host of this podcast and also the pastor of United Baptist Church in Concord, New Hampshire. Now today, we have a very special conversation with Dale Edwards. Many of you know Dale. He is the regional executive minister for the ABC in Vermont and New Hampshire. My last recorded conversation with Dale took place on March 20th, 2020. Think about that. March 20th which you may recall was just as the COVID-19 pandemic was landing on New England like a rotten pine tree falling on a wedding tent. And of course, back then we really could not tell exactly what the shape of the next six months was going to look like, but now we're looking back on those six months and Dale has some observations. He, he has discerned some fascinating and to be honest, troublesome patterns of behavior that have emerged as God's people have responded to the pressures of pandemic. Some of them are individual responses. Some of them are corporate group church responses. And in his pastoral way, Dale is going to share both some encouragement, but also some warnings to those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus in this time place in history. So I don't want to steal all his thunder. So let's go to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Dale Edwards. Uh, We're down in the the town of Milford right now, sitting together about eight feet apart, thanks to our, (laughs) our, our wired microphones. Welcome, Dale. It's good to see you again. Good to see you, Dave, yeah. and to be with you. Enjoy the conversation. Great. I don't think you need a ton of introduction, but just in case, Dale, who are you? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm Dale Edwards. I'm the Regional Executive Minister of the American Baptist Churches of Vermont, New Hampshire. And that is as much of a mouthful as it sounds it? like. I mean, in terms it's of... a hard title to get on a letterhead or a business card. And it's a hard title to live out. Right. Yeah, I would gonna, say so. And we're going to talk about that. Um, yeah, yeah sure. uh, I work and serve, uh, right now I think it's exactly 149 churches. Okay. And sometimes I round it up to 150. Yeah. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a broad landscape starting on the Canadian border, not far from Montreal, all the way down to Portsmouth, and even uh, the Mass uh, New Hampshire border. And if you were... If there's such a thing as a general profile <laughs> that kind of describes the churches of the region en masse, what would that sound like? 
Uh, most American Baptist churches that I serve have less than 100 people on Sunday mornings when they were meeting. They are quite often um, older congregations. Um, I would say the average age probably runs somewhere between 60 and 75 in those congregations. But with a few young people, maybe a few young families, the exception to the rule is to find out of that 150 churches, maybe 40 that I would call multi-generational. And in that 40 churches to find several that may have pre-COVID, we're seeing 100 to maybe 300 people on Sunday mornings. Hmm. Right. And but So you're not like the bishop that goes and tells these churches what they should do. What is, <laughs> what is your role among, those, among um, that group? Yeah. Um, my role is I, I am, um, it's a multifaceted role. In many ways, I'm a pastor, confidant to pastors. I help churches find uh, new pastors when their pastoral pastorate's open. I'm sometimes a consultant. I connect pastors and churches with resources. My office uh, offers a, what I call a missional infrastructure to um, help churches uh, manage their endowment monies, seek advice and counsel on church government. Um, we have a, a, a just a brand new uh, school of ministry that anybody can take classes in, which was begun this year. Unfortunately, COVID kind of also upset the apple cart there. Uh, we offer continuing education. We offer how to learn to be a better leader in your church or how to be a pastor. Hmm. Um, we provide funding for those things from restricted endowments. We uh, have uh, people that I recommend uh, my associate, Ron Boothlet, to go meet with churches to talk in depth about church renewal. Now, part of my world is that I'm kind of the point person. Mm -hmm. uh, part of my job is to be visible and in some ways to be an encouragement to local churches and pastors. Mm -hmm. And that's why being in a different church every Sunday and speaking and listening and greeting and being kind of a, an infrastructure or support system, um, sometimes very much in the background, but for the sake of the local pastor and local church, to further the mission of Christ's kingdom. Yeah, it's interesting. I heard you once describe your role moving from, as you did, yeah. from a local church in Lebanon to moving to this position as you were simply given a bigger towel <laughs> with which to wash the feet of the people in the region. That, yeah, right. it, it, you know, I'm a I'm a strong believer in the concept of servant leadership. Not that any of us do it well. Yeah, but it's an aspiration to say, okay, um, at the beginning of the day, this church belonged to Jesus Christ, and at the end of the day, the church is Jesus Christ, and I will serve Christ faithfully an attempt not to put my ego and pride into the function of the office I trusted with. Yeah. 
That's great. And I know I personally have been greatly helped by this aspect of your ministry this season because kind of, you kind of came in not long before I yeah. got into um, my work as pastor, but uh, many others also yeah. have been blessed by it. So thank you for that. So last time we sat down like this to talk with a microphone, right, was um, March 20th <laughs> of 2020. Today is October 10th. I think, yeah. 2020, right? Eighth, October 8th. Um, so six months or so later, we were just entering into COVID. So a lot of our previous conversation had a lot to do with what's happening right You're now. Right. And we have no idea what it's going to look like down the future. Well, now we're in the future that we didn't know what it was going to look like. And I wanted to come back around to you to talk about uh, your view, especially in relation to the American Baptist churches of Vermont and New Hampshire, and how this has worked for us, what you see happening, what you see needs to happen, and how you want to help, and any any advice that you can give or, or, or yeah. resources you can point to. So, um, as we were talking before um, before our conversation started, before we pushed the record button. We talked about a couple of things, culture, politics, and then challenges facing the region, right? So that's kind of the trajectory of where I want to take this conversation. Okay. Let's start off. You had mentioned um, this question of COVID has affected everything. Yep. I, don't, I don't want to use this language of COVID has changed everything because the world was a mess. It's still a mess. But it has had significant impact on our culture and our church culture. What are you seeing there? Well, let me start with what I see that's happened yeah. on the positive. Yeah, good idea. I mean, <laughs> local churches and local pastors, the resiliency, the adaptability, the pivoting to do ministry differently, when we were all conditioned to do ministry in a very, very face-to-face -face model. Who would have thought the pivot that has taken place? Mm. And I am just, I just celebrate and admire and respect the hard and sacrificial work of pastors and churches mm. who have maintained their Christian communities who have seen commitment to their ministries grow, who reach more people because of this world of technology, and have stepped up to meet the needs of their communities. So first of all, I would say I have been totally amazed at the adaptability and resiliency shown at the local church level. Now, you have some specific stories in mind when you say that, I think. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell some of those stories? Oh, sure. Without mentioning names, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. <laughs> but, you know, when, a, when someone in a community looks at a local church and says, we're in the middle of COVID and you're going to need help with helping people with utility bills and food, here is a $5,000 check hmm. for your church's discretionary fund to help people. Um I had, uh, I had talked with one pastor who just said, you know, there are people who are contacting us through our streaming of our Sunday morning service who said, you know, COVID has slowed me down enough to think. Mm. And your sermon has really spoke to me. Mm. Um, 
the opportunities I've heard some pastors speak about a, a new openness to prayer, both within their congregations and outside their congregations. And people who wouldn't necessarily uh, uh, walk into a Bible study group in somebody's living, living room, um, now wanting to join Zoom groups to, wow. to yeah. study, to pray, to talk. So those are some of the most wonderful things I'm hearing. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, we've got churches who not too long ago uh, had baptisms. They each went out in a lake outdoors. People had masks on. Mm-hmm. And I think they took the mask off so it wouldn't look like waterboarding when you baptize somebody. <laughs> but uh, um, people went out and uh, they were baptized. People are still making professions of faith in Christ. So I think that's the positive. So that's 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 really great to hear. Yeah. Especially because that is really the reason for this podcast existing, right? Is yep. to tell the stories of how the Holy Spirit and the gospel are at work right. in our region. God has not abandoned us. He's still at work. Well, and you know, yeah. and one of the other patterns I'm seeing is that w- the strength of smaller churches, when I said most of our churches have 100 or less people yeah. on Sunday mornings pre-COVID, those those churches, I would say the majority of them have told me that COVID has not had no effect on their financial support hmm. or in many cases the financial support increased. And that seems hmm. to be a majority theme during the COVID. Wow. So I think for a lot of small churches, the sense of community, commitment, sacrifice, maintaining our ministry through an uncertain time, probably more pronounced in small churches than in large churches. That's really something. I'm hearing that in other ways, too. Large churches are hurting in in, in ways that small churches aren't. So the small church thing ends up being a strength. Right. That's very true. And and I'm seeing that. I think part of what I, I notice is there seems to be an, an, a renewed appreciation for the relational character of a small church. Hmm. Um, I think some of the thinking that I read online and have read on paper about the church being a distributed church, yeah. in that there are these little satellites and pockets, and mm-hmm. but they're all the Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. In some ways, these small churches already had some of those dynamics going on. Uh, These were the churches that were made up of people who lived in the community, went to church in the community. They weren't driving 60 minutes out of the community or 45 minutes out of the community to go to church at, quote, a big church. Right. And in that kind of distributed small body that already had some really deep relational roots going on. At the moment, the small church is um, COVID better than many large churches. That's really good to hear. I guess when I think about it, it doesn't surprise, and yet it does. Yeah. Because it's very different from the messages that we get, yeah. uh, have been getting for so long. So, and all this is kind of the result of the of the unique pressure that the 
COVID pandemic and other cultural changes have placed on the church. So what are some of your other concerns? Or what else do you see happening culturally within our congregations? Um, one of the biggest concerns I'm having is that we're currently in a very, very heated political atmosphere. And it grieves me deeply when I visit with pastors and churches and I hear that this is a really brittle thing mm. in a lot of congregations. Uh, mm -hmm. People could possibly end their friendships, their relationships, their Christian community can be fractured. It's actually happening. It's not just yeah, it, yeah, it's I, happening. Yes, thank yeah, you for saying yeah, that. Yeah. It, it's not just potential, it's happening. I mean, I, I had one pastor tell me that he's seen conflict on Facebook between people in his congregation, and is really can that as people come trickling back to physical worship, mm. that some of those folks have already been so hurt on Facebook, they might not return. Mm. Um, and I think we're, we've started to buy into a myth that somehow the political decisions that we're involved in by casting a vote or voicing an opinion are not transient things. And what I mean by that is that we act as though the current political process in all its upheaval and dysfunction is an eternal process, that somehow it has eternal value. And it doesn't. Hmm. The kingdom of the world is distinct from the kingdom of God. And I don't mean to sound like I'm going off in a philosophical direction, but I think the Christian community in America has kind of boxed itself in to believe that it only has two choices in dealing with a tumultuous, rapidly changing, COVID-oppressed society. You either choose a pseudo-Christian national or you choose some sort of neo-Marxist um, let's tear down the system and start over again kind of thinking. Right. The problem with those choices that ultimately you believe your hope, your salvation, and your certainty is going to be found in a political ideology that affects the status of America. So when people are, when Christians are putting all their eggs in either, let, let's name it, the conservative Republican yeah. nationalist basket or the leftist progressive liberal basket, yeah. as if those are the only two choices. Right. Right. And that's, so what happened? Well, this, and what, what happens what is like. each side identifies their side as the Christian position. Yeah. And what I would say is whatever side of this spectrum I, I won't say choose, mm -hmm. but cast a vote for in an yeah. electoral process, I'm sacrificing some facet of my Christian ethics and morality to do so. As a Christian, I find no political ideology that is my faith. 
And I say that partly because I start with, I think, a very core Christian value of what I constantly recite being Imago Dei. That every the image per- of God. Yeah, every person is created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And every ethical and moral decision I make is partly based in that belief that every person is inherently valuable because they are created in God's image and they are a person for whom Christ has loved and died. So let me put you on the spot here. Yeah. I'm going to get really nitty gritty. Okay. How do both those two polar, I'll say choices, Yeah. how do they fail to do that? Okay, let me uh, let me touch on something hot button issues here, Dave. Yeah. Um, if I say every person's created in God's image, I believe that begins in utero. Okay. At conception. But I also believe that the immigrant is created in the image of God. So that's and, an example of how both sides fail. Right. They both have it wrong in some yeah. place. Yeah. Uh, I, I cannot justify people who are fleeing violence and fleeing poverty coming into the United States, which currently I believe has a real failed immigration system, but to treat folks in an oppressive way to treat children in an oppressive way. Is As the, if they're less than human, yes, is what you're getting at. Yeah. It is the same insult to the image of God in humanity than to take an unborn human life mm-hmm. or to be supportive of economic structures that sometimes lock people into poverty or write off certain parts of the country, whether they be rural or urban as less valuable and less worthy of governmental notice or public policy notice than another part of the country. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, to go back and you know, look at the issue of racism. I mean, I, I'm currently taking a class. I'm a 62-year-old guy, and I'm taking a class in cultural intelligence, and I'm taking it online, And just to go back and examine one's biases, unconscious and conscious, and from that, understand how your biases have affected your view of American history. Now, you realize that in using the example you just used, people will have marked you out in their mind as being on one one of those choices. Yeah, and and I don't think I am. So to, to so what I'm saying, yeah. okay, what I'm saying is, if I really want to consistently live out Imago Dei, which is a biblical doctrine that nobody disputes, right? Who is a Christian, right? That's yeah. Then living that out in human history and in time as a disciple of Jesus Christ, part of what spiritual Maturity, part of what reaching for spiritual maturity is, or spiritual formation, that's the better word, this journey of spiritual formation is to live in a life of self-examination. 
It is the constant sifting of oneself under the authority of Scripture and under the work of the Holy Spirit and quite often in Christian community with other Christians that can hold you accountable. To put it in religious language, to confess that I have sinned. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so when I can easily hear on a cognitive level uh, the pain of a black community or brown community, but not feel it on a heart level, mm. in some ways I have said, maybe I don't value you in the image of God as much as I value myself. At the same time, if I say, there is no objective truth that a unborn child is created in the image of God, that's just not true, then I also desert a great piece of my understanding of every person being created in God's image. So because we're all created in God's image, Christ sets the example of valuing us all as created in God's image. And to live out my life as a disciple of Christ, then I have to come under that tutelage and discipline of Scripture in the Holy Spirit forming me in such a way that that becomes a way of life in attempting to affirm that image of God in every person in all that I think and do. So you're right. That's very philosophical. Yeah. I, I love it. Bring that back again then to the life of our churches in the age of COVID. Okay. Yeah. Um, in the age of COVID, I think a pandemic has reminded us how fragile life is. It reminds us of the uncertainty of human institutions, systems, and even the limits of human knowledge. And in some ways, COVID has reminded us of the value of things that we easily overlook. Uh, the ability to go pick up some groceries for an older person who can't get out. Mm -hmm to pray together over a phone line or a Zoom meeting. Yeah. To say, gee, our relationships and our community, and for those of us who are Christians, living under a timeless reign of Christ, which is not contained by history or time or disease, all of a sudden the importance of that comes rushing back in the forced separation and silence that COVID brings us. Hmm. How should, well, let me ask you this. How do you see then churches, congregations responding to this? This, uh, mm. well, what you're putting out is a call to spiritual formation. Yeah. You're, you're, if, I, if I get you right, tell me if I'm off track here. 
you're saying one of the things that COVID is, is requiring from us as followers of Jesus, as Jesus-based communities, right, is that we focus less on our political formation, because you brought up politics, right. and more on our spiritual formation. You just put it really good, David. I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> Kudos to you, man. I mean, yeah. Uh, so unpack that. What... Okay. What can congregations be doing? What are they doing? How are we failing to do that? What are you seeing? Talk, okay. talk about what that looks like. Okay, what I would say is some of it does fall on the shoulders of a church's leadership. And I think in a tumultuous period of time for church leadership, it, what sometimes happens, and I find myself doing this, is what I call the ministry of reminding. Yeah. <laughs> The ministry of reminding is we are first of all citizens of the kingdom of God. And in the words of St. Augustine, or if I can paraphrase St. Augustine, the city of God always stands over against the city of the world. They're not the same thing. And when the barbarians were invading Italy and too many people believed that the fall of the empire was going to mean the fall of the church. Augustine reminded them they were two different things. And the lesson I take is that, yeah, political process is important, but it's not the end, for, end all for a Christian. Which circles around back to the illustration you made about voting. Yeah. Right. Voting's just, it's a thing. But it's, it's not the thing. Yep. Yeah. And, and Christian faith, the church, even in our contemporary modern context, the church of Jesus Christ lives and often prospers under a whole range of political and governmental systems. So if I'm hearing you right, a Christian, a devoted follower of Jesus, could actually vote for Donald Trump and still remain a faithful Christian. Oh, of course. Okay, and then, and a Christian, a faithful follower of Christ, could also vote for Joe Biden and remain a faithful Christian. Of course. Them's fighting words. <laughs> oh, I know, I just said, I mean, and maybe, you know, a very surface accusation you could throw at me was I don't take politics seriously. <laughs> and in some sense, I love history, I love yeah. to read in history. You know, yeah, maybe I don't take it as seriously as I should, but I take it seriously when I see the threat to Christian community hmm. being sabotaged, being, um, what do you want to say, distracted? And what you're oppressed. saying, you're not saying government threatening Christian community, you're saying Christians yeah. threatening Christian community over these kinds of issues. Right. Yeah. I mean... Uh, what does Paul say? You know, everything, all I thought was gain, I've counted lost in the words of the song, and it's all rubbish. Hmm. So if the Christian corporate body believes it will attain the kingdom of God through political process, it's just another idol. Now, having said that, I think Christians have a responsibility to follow Jesus Christ 
to effect the reform of society and work for peace and justice and the end of bad things like racism or abortion mm -hmm. or poverty or lack of health care because we are first followers of Jesus Christ and not any particular political party or political ideology. So we're not Mennonites that completely eschew politics. Oh, you picked up the Anabaptist right? strain, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah, I right? hear you. But, but you're saying that we don't, we're, not, we're not walking away from politics, no. but you're saying we're practicing politics Christianly. We're, we're practicing, Is that fair? Yeah, we're practicing politics from a different starting point. So unpack that a little bit. Okay, yeah. the starting point I'm practicing politics from, and I'm not going to even give you a hint of where I am politically, okay? I'm not going down there. We'll see there. about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I start with Imago Dei. Yeah. I start with a, as saying I am a, every person is a person whom Christ loves mm -hmm. and has died for. And we come to faith in Christ, we realize And that. you mean every person? Every person. Every person. Every person <laughs> is a person that God has created and loves and given us his son. I am an orthodox Christian through and through. Now, that's the position I'm going to, and please hear my word, evaluate the political choices in front of me. Okay. I'm not going to ascribe to any political choice a messianic character. Hmm. Neither nationalism or socialism should have some sort of messianic value to me. Only Jesus Christ has messianic saving value to me. So this sounds a little cynical, David, so forgive me, but when I look at political candidates and I look at party platforms, and I've read both the Republican and the Democratic Party platforms, the question for me as an Orthodox Christian is if I vote for either party's candidates, what part of my Christian ethics and worldview am I deserting? Ooh. Because, frankly, I can't vote for either without throwing overboard Something. a portion yeah. of my Christian worldview. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when I vote, it feels like the Hippocratic oath. What will do no harm or do the least harm? But I'm not going to, please see what I'm saying, I'm not going to ascribe to any political movement a messianic quality. And that's where nationalism and socialism, or I might say neo-Marxism, just come full circle and bump right into each other. Yeah. Because what they both require is of me to place a messianic value into a political system and ideology in the only Savior I know is Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave... Fill in the blank. His son. He didn't leave it blank. Right. He said his son. Right. right. Now, That's what I, you're driving at. I do believe Christians, <clears throat> we, we lean into the world to be a witness for Christ and trust that the Holy Spirit works corporately 
to change society for the better in acts of common grace. And if that protects all human life and relieves the suffering and oppression of people, then that is faithfulness to Jesus. And we have Christian forebearers who were abolitionists. Hmm. We have Christian forebearers that worked on prison reform, labor reform, taking care of the orphans, building the hospitals, building the educational institutions. Why? Because they believed every person was creating God's image. The problem with political process is often the manipulation of rage and resentments from which to establish political power. Now that's a fascinating statement. Uh, touch on that just a little bit, unpack that a little bit more, okay. and then I want to take us in a slightly okay. you know, um, different direction. I think the problem in political systems and climate, especially one of the great things about democracy is people get to vote. And you have choices. Wonderful, wonderful thing about democracy. Wouldn't have it, I wouldn't have it any other way. But in especially in the age of mass media and technology, do you manipulate people's fears, angers, rage, resentments? Do you manipulate them and exploit them as a base for your own political power? And the answer is obviously self-evident. And, and the, yes. the, the other side of that, I think what you're really saying is, Christian, be careful, because you are in danger of being manipulated. Right. The, the people who are putting out this messaging on both sides of this divide yep. do not have your best interests at heart. Right. They are trying to manipulate you to get their result. Do, it goes down to this. Which voice are you listening to? You, exactly. Right. Exactly. What am I hearing? I guess I'll go back to the issue of formation. What is forming my thinking? Yeah, and it's not left or right. There's a third voice, I think, is you've what you're got, really getting at. Yes. So if I sit and read, and I did this not long ago at the beginning of the pandemic, I sat and I reread the Sermon on the Mount. That's dangerous stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what <laughs> if, as a Christian living under the authority yeah. of Scripture in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, what and who, or I should say who and what, is forming my thinking? Now, I won't mention news outlets by name, but when I have my coffee in the morning, there are two news outlets I look at right mm -hmm. off. On my, I look at their web pages, and I think they're reporting on two different worlds. Mm. So immediately the presentation, when I look at these two, is I'm choosing between the temptation is to choose between two worlds. I'm guessing it's not BBC and Al Jazeera. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the point is to say, I think one's in New York and one's in Atlanta. But uh, I look at them and I say to myself, but I don't want these outlets to form my thinking for the day. Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I don't believe that's a passive instruction. Hmm. That's something we're meant to be with Jesus on. To mourn. To we mourn should. and comfort. Hmm. A man under horrible circumstances 
and at the hand of brutality, it loses his life in the street. Can we mourn it with those who mourn? Uh, I was hungry, you fed me not. I was in prison, you did not visit me. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. We all know how Jesus unfolds that in the in this revolutionary Sermon on the Mount. Is this is it the Sermon on the Mount that's going to mold my mold my thinking for the day, or is it the onslaught of media manipulation? that may play to my fears, my resentments, my conscious and unconscious biases. May it appeal to the things in me that are displeasing to Christ. And are you saying, what are you seeing? What are you seeing in those regards? Honestly, David, I think there are more people being discipled by media outlets than they are by scripture. I fear that discipleship has become such a shallow journey that so many things other than the Lordship of Christ form us. And when all those other things form us, we still proclaim that we're Christians, and yet we dishonor our God if he's not the one who is truly forming our souls. So let's say I'm a listener who's hearing you say this, and it's kind of um, hitting my conscience, right? And you're saying, man, that sounds like me. What do I do? Um, I think uh, I think for the Christian, there is a journey that we're always both by ourselves and with other Christians because this world is so tempting and so seductive in so many ways, we have to keep monitoring and examining and confessing before Christ. Hmm. And that means examining our thoughts, examining our motivations, examining our perceptions, and realizing that sometimes sin within us is a very complex thing. And sometimes we search out other people who mirror or agree with our own sin. Hmm. Wow. And maybe that's part of the spiritual toxic toxicity of political parties. We want to ally ourselves with people who share our sin. Do you see people, have, do you have people in mind, examples of um, people that are being convicted that way, who are moving that way? Do you see that happening much or is it mostly just a lot of fracturing and wedge, wedging and driving apart? What, oh, do you, what do you see? I see people out there doing what I just described, and I hope and pray by the grace of God I'm doing it myself. Mm -hmm. But the voices, I think, around us are so fractured 
and so angry and so divided and partisan that those voices that I hear and I fight with are seldom on the surface of the discussion. They're not foremost, they're not leading the discussion. No. Yeah. They're kind of, um, can I put it this way? Sometimes they're, <laughs> they're too calm. <laughs> the voice is too calm, so it irritates both sides. Yeah. So people who are very angry or partisan at the moment, I've had the experience where talking about spiritual form of political upheaval is not a welcome subject. Hmm. It's, really? it's not caught up in the emotion of the moment. Yeah. And the desire of people who seem to be trapped in the moment in the partisan thinking is they want you to be as angry and upset and engaged as they are. And you're saying, you know, I remember during the Protestant Reformation that these, you know, Martin Luther was doing really good, but maybe when those German princes protected him, that set the seeds for civil war between Protestants and Catholics. You know, it was really maybe going better before the political thing got going in well with it. And, and, and I find those kind of opinions are quite often not welcome. Um, and you say, you know, you look at a figure in history, if I could just cite a Catholic Pope, you know, there's John Paul I, growing up as a young man in Nazi-occupied Poland, and then in reverse, serves as a priest in communist-occupied Poland. Under the Soviet, yeah. And you say, wow, how to stand faithful for Christ in the horror, the absolute horror of both those moments and look them in the face in the name of Jesus. Mm. And as a little bitty minuscule Christian that has a little minuscule minute leadership role in this world, at the end of the day, I only want to stand with Christ. And it's really hard to do right now. So I hear, I hear in the, your conversation, there's a personal call to the individual. Yeah. It, and I'm going to be specific. Not, it's not what you said, I'm saying it. Spend less time being discipled by CNN or by Fox News, because they are discipling us. Yeah. That's really what they're trying to do. And more time being discipled by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Okay. So you're saying that that's a call to us individuals, and I and I hope people hear this and heed it, whichever side of that divide they fall on. It's not a middle way; it's a completely third way. It's a way. It's, it, it's, right. it's it's the timeless journey of following Jesus Christ as yeah. Lord and Savior. And it wouldn't matter if we were standing in Athens or Rome or Paris or London or outside. Um, uh, uh, Wittenberg door. Mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't matter where we were. Yeah. It's the same 
thing. Yeah, it's not about where we fall on the axis, it's where we're on a completely different axis. Right. <laughs> you know. Right? Yeah, so and so there's a call to the individual, I think I'm hearing right. what you're saying. But I think there's also a call to our churches, right. to our congregations, which is a little bit hard for us to understand because we're so individualistic in our upbringing and in our American culture. Right. But you're talking about something different, something more collective and communal here as well. Um, I think you had talked about uh, factors that accelerate existing challenges, and that's kind of what's bringing this to mind. Yeah. So go ahead and talk about that a little bit, the, the call not just to us as individuals then, but as, as Jesus communities. Oh, okay. Um, as Jesus communities, <laughs> my vision of Sunday morning services when we were meeting physically but I also see it happening virtually. We're at our best when we step into the ultimate reality of being with Jesus Christ and we step back from all the craziness and turmoil around us and everything that wants to mold and make us and manipulate us. And once again, I am reminded that I only sit with Christ together. Notice I'm putting that word on the end now. I am waiting for you to explain it. Yep. Together, <laughs> we as the Christian community, the body of Christ, are sitting together under the Lordship of Christ. In whatever shades of differences we may have, when it comes to politics or economic policy or any of these things, they all pale in the light of our common love for and loyalty to Jesus Christ. I think nothing grieves me more right now, and I talk, I'm talking within the Christian community, is to see the level of anger and venom that Christians can treat each other with, hmm. even during this political season in COVID. Um, it's got to grieve God to see some Christians advocate for the unborn and another group of Christians advocate for the immigrant and the two can't understand that they're both operating from Imago Day. Hmm. So that division is not of God. Yeah. And we're not only where churches, people in churches are not only allowing it, in many ways we do things that cultivate that yeah. division. Yeah. So your call, in a sense, the, the call that you're issuing right now is um, to take steps to um, take what's that fracture, that place that's broken, and find ways by the Spirit to bring it together. Right. Is that fair to, fair to yeah. say? Yeah, and I think, uh, I think it's where the classic spiritual disciplines come in. Right. Can I sit before God both as a church and as an individual 
and sit in such a way as to immerse in the words of Scripture under the tutelage, I like that word, tutelage of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and examine ourselves and ask Christ to change us. I mean, I've learned more in the last several months from the from black Christians that I never even realized. Mm. You know, I think of that um, passage in the Book of Common Prayer about the sins of, forgive us our sins of commission and omission. Mm -hmm. And I'm just beginning to realize that on some issues, I'm really guilty of the sin of omission. I didn't make a decision about some of the sins I have chosen, but they're there and they still need to be rooted out. Hmm. You know, Martin Luther used to say, a reformed church always reforming. And I love that. I believe that's so totally true. But when just not reforming the church or reforming ourselves, out of resources within ourselves. We're reforming ourselves under an eternal reign of God. And I think that's very important to understand that, especially in light of what you call uh, the existing challenges that face the church, yeah. that these political pressures and these, uh, I don't know what to call it, the COVID pressures, the yeah. pandemic pressures, uh, that are there that they're on the church and on our congregations. Yeah, right. and I, I think if congregations were feeling stressed or demoralized or low on energy, um, I'm going to be less philosophical now. But uh, <laughs> um, it's time. It's getting toward the end of our okay. talk, so it's churches, time to get the churches that were feeling stressed about how they were going to pay their heating bill. Or can we afford a pastor and afford the building? Or maybe we need a whole new model of ministry, you know, all that stuff. How do we pastor the inherited church, expression of church? COVID accelerated all those stresses and challenges. What does that mean? I mean, if you were stressed about your paying the heat, heating bill for your building pre-COVID, now you're stressed that you're heating the building and you can't even use it. Yeah, okay. Okay, now the stress level just ramped up. Done it all, now it's costing us 6000 a year and we can't even use the building. What good is it? At least pre-COVID, we could go in there and, and have a turkey supper to help pay the fuel bill. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean when I say all the issues have gotten accelerated. Even though I've seen incredible resiliency and even increases of support and commitment to local churches, there are a lot of practical issues that COVID has forced. So what's our response to that? I think God, the Holy Spirit, is reforming his church. Yeah. And I... This is a theme of mine, but I think American Christianity has to become humble enough now to learn from Global South Christianity. Ooh. Do tell. Um, <laughs> to believe that 
Western Christianity was always the premier place and guardian of Christian faith is not true. Um, and until Western Christianity can learn how to wash the feet of the global South Christian, we will remain spiritually anemic. Now again, there are some who will hear that and they'll accuse you of being leftist or no, soft or whatever. No. I know I, I know you enough that that's not where you're coming from, so I'm giving you a chance to kind of defend your position on that because oh. I think you're right, but I want to hear... Okay. Tell me why that person who would weigh is not... Let me use a biblical example. Yeah. What's the first controversy the apostles deal with after Pentecost? The widows, right? Right. The the Hebraic Jewish Christian leadership is accused of neglecting the Hellenistic Jewish Christian widows and community. Right. So all of a sudden... It's right in the afterglow of Pentecost, and the apostles have to address a very fallen human thing that one group of people in the Christian Jewish community is feeling neglected and being maybe treated less than by another part. Now, how many days did that happen after the Holy Spirit fell? doesn't say, but it doesn't give the impression that it was It wasn't long. very long, was it? <laughs> so what I'm saying, a lot of the stuff we deal with is neither left or right, or it's the human condition. It's just caring for people. And we've always dealt yeah. with it. Yeah. And the only way we can effectively deal with it is both as individuals and as the body of Christ as we keep surrendering ourselves to Jesus Christ to make and form us into his disciples. Yeah, I think there's a reason why Jesus says, love your neighbor, because what he's saying is, uh, love the people that are right around you right now. Yeah. Right? And uh, sometimes those are the most hardest people to love. Oh, do you remember, uh, is it right. in screw tape letters? Is it, <laughs> I think I have this vague memory that in screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis writes uh, to one of the, the demons, the, the senior demon writing to the junior demon, Tell that new Christian to go to church and have to sit next to the butcher that he knows is dishonest and he doesn't like, and that will really sour his Christian faith. I always get screw tape and wormwood, you know, backwards. But um, my heart overflows of humanity. It's Bob I can't stand. You've got right. it. And uh, and we look at each other's imperfections. We look at each other's warts. We look at each other's inconsistencies. And we really think that how we want to address this is through the lenses of political ideologies. Instead of saying we're both sinners before God and both in need of God's grace and love and mercy. Hmm. And how do we find this affirmation of Imago Dei Hmm. together as consistently as we can in our imperfect, fallen best efforts. Okay. Let's land the plane on this. Let me ask you, right? So if it's not politics, and if it's not wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, right, to relate it back to COVID, 
what then is it? What then is it that you're calling uh, the people in the American Baptist pews and the, and, the, and the congregations together? What are you calling us to be focused on and to get through the next several months? Sit and be with Christ. And if I can really wax Anabaptist, <laughs> as I once heard a Mennonite theologian say, when you pick up the weapons of the world, you become like the world. Mm. So the second thing I would say, if you're tempted to pick up the weapons of the world, please don't. And if you already have one in your hand, put it down. That's a good word. Well, thank you, David. And I, I've loved it because, you know, uh, when we first had that, when we had that conversation six months ago, we didn't know what... Right. We this headed. six months where we're headed. Now, the conversation we have just had, we saw what the last six months unfold, and you're responding to that, and I think that's great. So thank you for that word. Thank you, David. And um, I look forward to the next time we can, we can sit down. Good. Thank you very much. Okay, well... <laughs> that was some pretty steep hiking here and there, but I think you'll agree it topped out in some pretty amazing views. You know, it's like any time when great forces are at work, there is both great danger and great opportunity for the gospel. And I really want to encourage you to take Dale's words to heart, knowing the spirit in which they are given for the good of our hearts and for the glory of God. Well, that's it for this episode of Frost Heave Revival. If you have not heard our other episodes, you can find them on iTunes podcast app or just about any podcast app that you like to use. Just search for Frost Heave Revival. And while you are at it, I invite you to subscribe so that whenever a new episode comes up, you will be notified and you won't miss any of them. And I'll tell you, there are some good stories coming up, so you want to keep your eyes open. Also, while you are at it, please take time to rate us with a five-star rating, if in fact, you know, you think it deserves five stars, and post a glowing review. This actually helps us to go up in the search results so that more people can find us and more people can see and hear the good news about what Jesus is up to here in New England. So until we meet again, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus the Messiah. <laughs>